Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, host of White House Chronicle. Welcome to the broadcast, a very special one this week. It is our 25th anniversary on the air, 25 years of White House Chronicle. And we're very grateful to WHUT Television in Washington, our originating station, also to uh, other stations across the country that have been with us from the very beginning. Today, we're going to take a look at the political situation. And I have with me uh, to start Richard Arenberg, visiting professor of political science at Brown University. He is the author of The Congressional Procedure, a practical guide to the, to the legislative process in the US Congress. And present, he is lecturing at Brown, as I said, and uh, very successfully, I hear. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, we should tell people that you spent many, many years in the Congress as a staffer and have an encyclopedic knowledge of its operation, function, and dysfunction. And back on the broadcast, our near regular Clint Vince, chair of the US energy practice of Denton's, the world's largest law firm. He is also very wise about the comings and goings of Washington having been there ever since he was at Georgetown Law. A while back, right, Flint? <laughs> Regrettably. I uh, will start. Uh, we, we have a very divisive situation in the country. Everybody is aware of it. I would say the, the evidence of this is how the media is really, the mainstream media is really suddenly and extraordinarily a one voice in the sense that we may have a huge constitutional crisis that we may not easily get over. But I would like, Rich, because of your knowledge, take us to how we got here today, how we went from being a presidential system with a Congress that weighed all sides and where minorities had a good say, to one that looks remarkably like a parliamentary system, one if one side has more votes, it prevails. Please tell us. Well, I think this has been developing for quite some time now. I, I, I would uh, uh, go back probably to the uh, election of Ronald Reagan in 1980 and the uh, kind of conservative wave that came in, came in with him. And uh, it changed the uh, control of the Congress rather dramatically. And we've, uh, what has followed has been uh, a, a number of years, but uh, virtually every year, the uh, two parties uh, become more and more cohesively uh, ideological, further apart from each other. And uh, year by year by year, that gulf has gotten greater. And it's been exacerbated over the years by uh, uh, things like uh, uh, Mitch McConnell's uh, refusal to take up uh, Barack Obama's uh, uh, appointment to the Supreme Court, uh, things like the, the uh, Thomas nomination. Uh, but... Uh, you know, we've come to a point now where uh, we see that divide on virtually every issue. In fact, amazingly, even on the uh, on the uh, 
the current pandemic. We, we see a, uh, a conservative position and a progressive position. Dante, you're a wise observer of Washington. You look at it through the eyes of a really of a technologist because so many, so much of your practice involves technology and energy. Um, are we moving in one direction as a technological society progressively and regressively as a political society? That's a perfect way to uh, describe it, Llewellyn. I agree with Richard's comment that um, our uh, governance has become increasingly sulfuric and divided even within uh, the parties uh, to some extent, but uh, certainly with reference to the to uh, the Democrats and Republicans opposing each other on virtually everything. To come closer to home, as you suggested in your question, my background is energy. Interestingly, I think there are some mega trends right now that uh, involve technology and innovation. But the, the um, dominant issue for energy going forward that will affect just about everything we do is climate and climate change and um, action to try to uh, confront that uh, issue. So it will affect, as you know, there's a major social movement as well as governmental movement uh, to uh, decarbonize the electricity industry, um, the uh, transportation issue industry, which will, you'll see an exponential increase in electric vehicles and uh, more efficient modes of transportation. Um, industry will have to change its processes to uh, have less carbon emission and buildings as well will change the way they consume energy. So you'll see huge change in that regard and we're so far behind on climate in part because of political differences in this country and um, the inability of governments to really take the steps they need to with the speed and acceleration they need. Uh, you'll see major social movements now. We also already see it with the ESG movement which stands for environment uh, social governments, where investors of corporations will be grading uh, corporations based on their environment and uh, environmental and social action. Um, you also will see a youth movement increase. Think uh, Greta Thunberg, um, and so there'll be uh, a huge amount of activity with respect to climate. One of the uh, trends that that will produce, which I haven't, surprisingly haven't seen that much discussion of, is uh, there'll be a lot of instability with respect to our electric grid uh, in a way we haven't seen it before. We have to move with such velocity to uh, move towards zero carbon that we will put a lot of pressure on our existing grid. And um, that uh, you, you can see it already uh, layered on top of that. You have extreme weather and uh, turbulent weather. So you had winter storm Uri in Texas last February, 
where uh, four and a half million Texans were without power and uh, in freezing conditions. Uh, nearly 250 people died. You had Hurricane Ida on the Gulf Coast, which devastated the electric grid down there. And out west, you have forest fires and drought and extreme uh, heat, which has also impacted the stability of the grid. And then when you layer on top of that, Llewellyn, um, uh, issues like cyber and supply chain and geopolitics, um, it's, it's going to be a less stable grid for a transitional period of time. A couple Is of other... We've, we've got this time of political instability as well. And we see how divided it is because a large part of the conservative movement still does not believe that there is a global warming uh, at all. And they're prepared to take, as, as Rich said, you know, if they're prepared to divide on wearing masks, they're going to be prepared to divide on, uh, the, despite the very apparent uh, change in the weather that we've all experienced with the issues, with the events that you uh, laid out. And Rich, where do we go from here? Well, I, I just wanted to make one uh, sort of historical comment here that, uh, uh, as you know, I first came to Washington with Paul Songus from uh, Massachusetts, and uh, he held, he chaired the first hearing on uh, climate change in the uh, Senate in 1979. Uh, we called it the greenhouse effect at that time. Uh, but the hearing, you know, the, the, uh, there was testimony about uh, rising sea levels and all of it. And uh, I'm often struck by the fact that here we are 40 years later, and we've made precious little progress. You know, I, I tend to think, Rich, that things move in 40-year cycles, um, particularly in, when it comes to large public issues where a new reality has to be absorbed, digested, understood before you get any action, political or otherwise, or technical, on that reality. It took us almost that amount of time to conquer the energy supply. But I would like to raise something else, something that I am seeing. I am seeing a change in my colleagues in the media of all mainstream uh, types, and I mean mainstream by recognized, established uh, journalistic outlets. I think that's the best way you can describe the mainstream. And that is, it's almost eerily similar to Vietnam. When I started writing about Vietnam, which was back in, I think, 1960, one or two uh, uh, reporters in Europe and even in America were not anti the war. They were covering the war. I remember when I arrived in the United States, which was in 1963, I asked a reporter in New York, what do you think about the Vietnam War? And he said, well, the Vietnamese are fighting. That's good enough for me. But three, four years later, the Vietnamese were in chaos, and we were still fighting. And gradually, you saw this huge change in the total attitude of the media to the war in Vietnam. So they really 
And remember, the media is not a, a monolithic whole. It is a, a regular army of very individual people. Uh, nonetheless, almost en masse, uh, people came to doubt the wisdom of the Vietnam War, so much so that probably because of that change in the way the war was covered in all uh, forms of media, except a few exceptions, uh, the change was that we couldn't stay in Vietnam. And uh, that was a tremendous change from reporters covering the war as an event, just an event, to getting an emotional sense that there was a moral issue that they had to take a stand on. As we now approach the new reality of what is happening in the country, there is a sense among reporters, individuals, as I say, not some whole institution, but a sense that we are in trouble, that democracy is in trouble, and that in some way we cannot just cover this as an event. We have to exercise some moral judgment. The old rule of, uh, you know, write the article but give the other side as well doesn't pertain when the other side is a total lie. And it's a very difficult situation for journalists, but it is a turning point, I believe. What do you think of that? It just briefly, I mean, it strikes me right away that uh, we don't have the, the uh, the uh, the mainstream media doesn't have the kind of focused impact it has uh, that it had at that time on our society when you know when people like Walter Cronkite and other influential people began to change their mind about the Vietnam War to become concerned about it it had a a, a, a demonstrable and, and uh, uh, rapid impact on public opinion and I think that now the the media is so diffused, and its uh, credibility with the the public isn't what it was at the time. There's much more skepticism about uh, what's in the media. That uh, you know, it it's it's hard to see that kind of uh, uh, very focused impact happening now. But I think we are seeing some focus. Uh, the the difference is we now have social media where everybody is their own reporter, their own opinion editor, uh, and there is no uh, restraint whatsoever, no need for restraint. Uh, and the tragedy of it, the sorrow of it, is that people are getting the information they want to get. So we have a kind of uh, endorsement of, of error. A constant repetition of a lie makes it some kind of a fact and a repetition of error gets to be accepted. Clint. These are really good points. I, I think what you're gonna see um, is probably a similar social movement that you saw with respect to the Vietnam War when people felt that government didn't have it right and they, uh, they addressed it socially. And then ultimately the media uh, went with that social change. It was a compelling story, um, but I don't think they were in the forefront. I think they followed it, and I think that's what we're beginning to see here. There, there's just uh, there's so much evidence of climate change now. When you look at the 
unbelievable increase in the intensity of hurricanes and intensity of turbulent weather and unusual weather and extreme weather. Uh, it just can't uh, easily be denied anymore. And I think you're seeing this is not just a phenomenon in the U.S. It's now becoming a global phenomenon. Well, this is true, Clint, but what, what I think Rich and I are saying is that there are people out there who deny that this is happening. Some remarkably influential people deny that it is happening. And it's taken, for example, the utility industry, which you and I both know something about, a very long time to come around to openly saying there is a problem. Uh, and meanwhile, you have social media, which is unmonitored. We can't monitor it. There's too much of it. We don't know what the preponderance of the social media opinion is because it's, un it's not available to us to make that sort of decision. Everybody just dips into it and sees some of it. You can go on any of the social media sites and get any kind of opinion you want. Which ones are dominating? Which ones are actually changing the public's understanding? It is a new time. And I do so agree with Rich uh, that we cannot extend the Vietnam comparison all the way because the media is not what the media was. We don't have the influence. Uh, there are fewer newspapers, and those that there are are not able to hire and develop the repertorial talent that they once were. You can get a bit deceived by looking at the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the dominant three, to thinking that the media is quite healthy. The media is very unhealthy for financial reasons because the same technology that is bringing us social media has undermined and hollowed out traditional media. It's discouraging when you look at the level of uh, misinformation that we see uh, circulating in the political environment. I mean, we still have, you know, some, something close to 40% of the American public that doesn't believe that the uh, the president was uh, legally elected, for example. But, and, and we see this, I, I mean, I mentioned the pandemic before. We see it, you know, we can't seem to get our population immunized, you know, when uh, 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 it's, it's uh, uh, the level of um, uh, misinformation that can be put out there uh, uh, successfully, it seems to me, is is uh, quite alarming. Uh, we, uh, uh, we just you know one reflection of that. I mean, we often hear uh, commentators in the media talking about uh, this, that, or the other lie that uh, uh, you know this. Whoever it might be, the the president or someone else, and uh, what they're saying is being described as lies. Well, it wasn't all that long ago that 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 wasn't much of an acceptable term in journalism. I mean, uh, you, you you had to go a very long way before you will you were willing to use that word. Mind you, we have been through periods in American history where abusive language has not been alien to the debate. After the Second World War, we entered into a period of almost unreal 
uh, civility in the media and in politics, and that civility seems to have gone. Uh, when we, you know, accuse people, and uh, I, I just was listening to a wonderful broadcast of a lecture by a professor from Maryland University on Tom Paine, in which he said Paine was accused of having sex with cats. Uh, well, that's, that's pushing abuse pretty far. I do think we're in a very serious and critical situation. Uh, but let me introduce another thought, and that is, what about a big transformative idea which takes us away from where we are to another place? In technology, Clint, we have seen new technologies sweep away old arguments. Uh, for example, we were wringing our hands in the 1970s over an eternal shortage of energy. New technology brought plenty of energy and new ways such as solar, uh, direct electric solar. Originally, we started with mirrors and other gadgets that didn't work very well. Um, a new idea, some big new thing uh, that can change this toxic debate. Uh, what do you think the chances of that are? I think the chances are high, Llewellyn, and I think economics will creep into this as well. For example, when we had the uh, uh, new innovation regarding fracking for gas, that industry took off much more because of the economics than because of policy changes. Fracking showed how you could move from coal-fired generation to gas because of major technological change. Now we have renewables that have become much less expensive, and you're going to see a major economic change supporting renewables. And in terms of other technology, there's a lot of investment now in battery technology, electric vehicles. Uh, people are investing in hydrogen, especially in Europe and Japan and other countries. Investment is catching up in the United States. And I think there will be economic drivers just like uh, fracking change the entire energy industry for a 10 or 15 year period. I think renewables and other developments on energy storage will uh, have similar changes going forward. That also uh, ran straight into the political divide where if you're a good God-fearing uh, Republican, you like fracking, and if you're a good God-fearing Democrat, you tend to be hostile to fracking. Everything seems to break across this, this issue of the politics and the uh, denial is part of the system. Rich, uh, what do you think about a big new political idea that will distract us from the current divisions? Well, you know, I, I've often, you know, I'm often asked, and I talk about polarization, I'm often asked, you know, what's the way out of here, you know? And uh, the answer that I've traditionally given is, uh, I've pointed to the period right in the wake of 9-11 and said, you know, uh, a big uh, catastrophic event like that, or uh, you know, it, it could be a natural event, uh, you know, a weather event or something like that. But I've, I, I, I've thought, you know, that would be the, in, in the wake of 9-11, we saw a, a period, it only lasted about six or eight months in that instance, 
but we had a period of uh, bipartisanship, a period, and I was on the Hill at the time, and it was a real sea change. People uh, began to think in terms of what was good for America rather than what was good for uh, their particular political party. And so I've always thought that it would take something like that. But along comes this pandemic. It's the reason I keep going back and touching on that is uh, it's exactly the kind of event that I would have expected uh, naively, as it turns out, that the uh, country would come together around the response to that. And we've seen really just the opposite. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm encouraged by uh, what Clinton has had to say about our energy future. But I, you know, I take note of the fact that uh, it, uh, the the uh, forces that you've been pointing to uh, don't involve the government because we're we're uh, we haven't. We haven't seen the government uh, uh, show the ability to really kind of address this, this situation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm confident, I'm, I'm somewhat confident that we will get a version of Build Back Better uh, through the, the, uh, the Congress in the next several months. And, of course, that has a number of uh, uh, climate-related provisions. Uh, there certainly has been great difficulty in moving it thus far. And because of the division in Congress, um, when was the last time that we saw for energy or anything else a bipartisan vote where a large number of members of one body or another? Well, the, infra agree? the infrastructure bill is probably the, the best example of that. Uh, but of course, you know, I mean, historically, we used to call them public works bills. It, it was recognized as, uh, you know, the easiest bipartisan issue there was because uh, there were a lot of projects in there. There was a lot of money for uh, uh, elected officials of both parties. And uh, uh, we thought of that as the easiest kind of major legislation to do. And even that turned out to be quite difficult. Uh, uh, but I think, uh, you know, that's the one uh, real successful example. And there, there are smaller ones. But uh, uh, for the most part, if you look at the big issues, uh, you know, immigration reform comes to mind, for example. We, we've been wrestling that with that now for 20, 30 years. Uh, Everyone knows uh, what the problem is. Everyone knows the outlines of the solution, and yet we still can't get the two parties to the table. And in a democracy, that's very corrosive. That is our show for today. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you, Clint Bentz from Denton's, the international law firm, and Rich Arenberg professor at Brown University, visiting professor, and great authority on the United States Congress. Cheers and Happy New Year, everyone. Our program, White House Chronicle, is on offer as a podcast for you to enjoy. Full shows on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and all major audio platforms. Subscribe and take us with you in your pocket.